Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I look back at all of the, one could look back at the disasters. And yet, at some point, there was nudity involved. And I can't knock that. Welcome back to another episode of Divorce Party. Shout out to Tom Arnold for bringing us our next incredible guest. He was once the entertainment editor and chief of Hustler magazine. He has written several articles for Rolling Stone magazine and the novel Generation Kill that was turned into a miniseries for HBO. And apparently his divorce was equally interesting. Please welcome to the party, Evan Wright. Hello. Hi. Did you reread the article that he wrote (laughs) about porn, uh, his porn experience and well, so yeah, I want to talk about that. So I was doing my, you know, Wikipedia research of you and I know, I knew about your book, Generation Kill. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, it's so funny, we have sort of like a back-to-back Kelly, my best friend was on last week and she was a C-130 pilot and did many tours over there and really? um, but said that the PTSD from that wasn't as bad as her divorce. Uh, <laughs> um, but I saw that, yeah, you were the, entertainment editor-in-chief of Hustler magazine in 1995? Yes. Yes. How does one come into that position? Well, you really have to fail at everything else in life first. (laughs) It's like a major prerequisite. And um, no, it was actually, it was, it was like my first paid writing, my first paid writing job with health benefits. And it was 20, $4,000 $4,000 a year. And, um, but there were or 27 and there, but anyway, yeah, it was, that was my first job. But, but Evan has a similar background. You used from Ohio and, uh, you know, we kind of are from that working class, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Midwest 
uh, thing. And uh, and so before I met Evan, I, I kind of got his history of where he's been and what he's done. I was like, wonder what the deal, where the, this guy seems like a gangster. And, um, and then we sit and talk about my gangster sister and he yeah. gets, but, uh, you know, I'm like, this guy is a kind of a Ward Cleaver too. And, uh, I look at his life. Let me just say this about, uh, Evan's life now. He's got a couple beautiful little kids. He's got, his wife is, I just, she may, every time I got over, she's so nice. You say she makes you super healthy food, which is something. And then you say a prayer before you eat. And uh, uh, I had not done that. It, it, I felt really good about doing it with her because she's amazing. But his life, you know, this guy that has uh, been to war, covered the war, covered the porn industry, whatever, is very, uh, uh, you know, it's very calm and very cool. And uh, yeah, if, if having little kids is calm, which here it's not today. Yeah. But uh, so, you know, a very thoughtful uh, guy who, uh, who when he writes about his experience, personal experiences, I, those are my favorite things because, you know, there's a humility to it and there's a funny, <laughs> no matter, there's this, this humor and uh, and uh, as we were talking before, he started, he was trying to do something, trying to be a writer, trying to, as so many of us are. And I think he, he, he told you, he did one of those things where a call center and he got yes. lost in it, which makes sense to me in my ADHD. And, and then he ends up at Larry Flint's. And, uh, so How does that yeah, happen? Yeah, yes. Yeah. I um, Actually, it was a tip from my brother-in-law who said they were looking for a copy editor. And that's the person who, you know, in the old days in magazines, now online, it doesn't really matter, but they would like correct the spelling. And that mattered in the porn industry too, in the nineties, they mm -hmm. had to get the spelling right of all the naughty words. <laughs> so I applied, somebody was, I was actually working at a law firm at the time, like um, doing like data entry. And a friend was like, Oh, um, there's a job at Hustler. It's down the street. It's in Beverly Hills. I really didn't know this. Mm -hmm. And I worked at a law firm in Beverly Hills. So I was like, great. I'll apply as a copy editor. I make a resume. I hand it in. And two things happened. At the time, I had like real substance abuse. Oh, that's like you asked, how do you get a job at Hustler? Also, yeah. like substance abuse issues is like a real plus. Like it really helps <laughs> get into the porn industry. Kind of like restaurants too, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of fields, like people, they leave that out. Like if you want to yeah. get into some industries, substance abuse. So I I I have this stressful interview and I leave the law firm. It was a really hot day. And I had a pocket full of Xanaxes mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, I need to relax. So I'm not too nervous in the interview. And um, I pop a few and I didn't abuse Xanaxes that regularly. I had stolen them from a friend's bathroom. Nice. Uh, Armin Gregorian, a close friend of mine to this day. And, uh, and um, I was like, how many do I take? So I took a few. And then I was taking the bus because I didn't have a car and the bus broke down. So I had to run to the interview and I think it affected the Xanax because by the time I went in, I started blacking out. 
<laughs> and I was having this vision of my chair flipping back. And I'm like sitting in this interview with this guy, Alan McDonnell, my future boss. And he's like talking to me. And I, I'm feeling like my chair is just spiraling through the universe. And I'm like kind of tripping on the Xanaxes. And he says this thing. He says, um, I remembered him saying two things. And I'll, I'll wrap this up then. Uh, he said, uh, you have so many typos yeah. on your resume. We couldn't <laughs> no. hire you as a copy editor. Yeah. But he said, I, you went, it looks like you went to Vassar College. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, isn't that a girl's school? And I'm like, no, I was, it's been co-ed since 1969. That's the year. 69. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to go there, but that's what <laughs> they chose to go co-ed. And, um, and uh, he was like, you went to Vassar college. So on that alone, I'm going to hire you to um, be the, Oh, and he said, what did you study? And I was like, medieval history. And he was like, that's great. I, just for the comedy of it, I'm going to hire you to be the erotic entertainment editor of Hustler. And he said, you're going to be responsible for covering the news of the porn industry and the um, the uh, and give ratings to the porn films of that era, the new films. I was responsible wow. for the Hustler rating system, which was a fully erect Three quarters, half quarter, <laughs> or totally limp was our. It was a four part. Yeah, I remember. So, how would you know that, Tom? Well, yeah, of you know, course, that, Tom knows that. I, I have to say that the one of the things you did at your interview, you told this story, I believe, about when you're 11 and you found a hustler magazine in a ditch, and then took it home, and it became the you know, the holy grail, and you end up selling stuff to your friends. I get that completely. That makes yes. sense. So now you you've come full circle, let, uh, pardon the pun, come full circle. <laughs> I wonder what that rating would be, and uh, and and there you are sitting there, with your the, life, yeah, is complete. It, it was crazy. It was the I told him that story. It actually I lied. It wasn't a I don't know if it was a hustler, but in Ohio where I grew up in the woods, we were like climbing around and we found in a in a brown paper bag three porn magazines that had been purchased. And this That's is like, like a the opening scene in a movie. Yeah. And it was like, we knew right away, like somebody had bought them and then he threw them out of his car because he was too ashamed. Like we intuitively <laughs> understood this. Yeah. Were they sticky? They, yeah. well, they were in a ditch, water soaked. Yeah. So clean. So, well, yes, <laughs> yes. They were, they'd been cleaned. But we had to find a neighbor who was out of town on vacation in Florida to, in order to break into their house and disassemble the porn magazine and hang it on strings mm -hmm. in a dry interior location. So we oh, did that. Awesome. And, and so we I told and then I sold those individual pages and I took pictures of them and sold them to my class in sixth yeah, grade. And you know what's great? Yeah, see, so you don't know this, Monica, but Playboy magazine is a certain quality of stuff and then there was penthouse it's just a little i know the difference hustler remember beaver hut that's where the amateurs amateur <laughs> would set Wait, in is that a magazine called beaver hut no, or was it, was, it a section it of it, isn't that within uh, hustler one of their special sections mm -hmm. where, where amateurs said that just really uh 
Oh my yeah. God. Well, it's funny because growing up, my stepdad had a subscription to Playboy and they would just be on the coffee table with the TV guide. It was like not a big deal. So I was always checking out, obviously, when no one was around. Um, but I don't think it was until I moved to LA after college that I saw like Hustler. And then I used to always drive by the Larry Flint building and I could see on that top floor. And I mean, I don't even know if they were there anymore, but you could see at nighttime, this glowing giant chandelier. And I would fantasize about all the like sex parties that were going on up there and drugs. Oh my God. I mean, I don't know if they ever did, but I would always just like wonder and, you know, would love to be a fly on the wall for that. You know, I have to, I'm going to so like titillate and disappoint you. Um, I I got the job there in that interview. I had blacked out and um, they had sent me downstairs to, I think the third floor where they administered, I didn't know this, like a psychology test to all new employees. And I filled it out with like a little pencil while in a blackout. I just remembered it. (laughs) And I called the guy who interviewed me the next day because I didn't remember the result. Mm-hmm. And he was like, hey, I hired you. Don't you remember, dumbass? Oh, my and God. I said, no, I was just calling to check just to. And, yeah, um, sure. yeah. So I worked there. I was I took the job really seriously. Right. But at the Christmas party, we went on that ninth floor that you fantasized about. And the very first one. I actually, I was so afraid I was going to get drunk and like pick a fight with like Larry's bodyguard and get like thrown off the roof. There was a rumor, Larry's passed away. So I can, there was a rumor that one of my, that the predecessor of mine had offended Larry Flint and that he'd had Doug the bodyguard or some bodyguard beat him up. And so in my job, when I first started there, I was always like afraid I'm going to piss off the boss and they're going to kick my ass in a warehouse. And it, so at that first Christmas party, I'm like trying, uh, we we all gathered in Larry's, the, the ninth or 10th floor, and it's the chandeliers and all the artwork, which I think it was mostly like imitations. But anyway, yeah. um, I got so drunk. I was so nervous. I drank heavily and into a blackout again. And I was, I woke up under my desk like the next morning and I was like, what did I do? I hope I didn't like roll Larry Flint down the hallway or, you yeah. know, insult his wife, Liz Berrios. We were always afraid of that. So, yeah. Well, I, you know, and, and I have to say Larry Flint and Hugh Hefter, I don't know about Bob Gucciotti. I'm not, I can't remember, but big first amendment guys, huge. And, Larry Flint, the funniest thing he ever did, and the thing that kind of came full circle with me, was he did a fake bourbon ad uh, about Jerry Falwell Sr. fucking his mother. I mean, and it looks like, it looks exactly like an ad. Somebody just sent it to me again. And it's so funny, it's over the top, that Jerry Falwell sued. They went to, it was a huge case, went to the Supreme Court. And, uh, uh, you know, and then Jerry Fall Jr. ended up with uh, uh, doing the uh, pool boy documentary. But Jerry Fall was senior, and it was a huge story, and uh, he won, which is good for everybody. But then at the end of his life, uh, of Jerry Fall Sr.'s life, 
him and Larry Flint would go around the country together. And, you know, he said, uh, Larry Flint, put, uh, pay, uh, Christmas cards and stuff. They'd go around these speaking engagements for a lot of money, I assume. They became like best buddies. And uh, uh, so that's, uh, you know, a little bit of the foundation, especially as a writer. You come into this place like, hey, man, these guys are really looking out for me and all the other journalists. And, and uh, but it's also crazy. Wow. So, Evan, had yeah. you been married before that? Had I been married? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And and by the way, I just have to do a little aside here. I'm kind of blown away because when I met you, Tom, it was in the context of having studied the documentary Queen of Meth about your sister, and we're talking about adapting it into a TV show, uh, the miniseries or, or show. But I felt like um, I was the observer and the reporter, and you were like this patient, right? <laughs> and I'm like kind of blown away because I you started this podcast and I've I've been talking too much because I often do that because I'm like, oh, I'll have to carry the weight because I'll just tell my stories. But you actually really know more about some of these topics than yeah. realized. And yeah, that that uh, but of course, it makes sense because we're in this weird parallel world where you did that you were involved in the modern day Falwell story. And that that parody that you're referring to, I believe it was, there was like um, another liquor company that was running this series of ads for like my first time. Yeah, that's what it and was. So they were like, and they, and they were like my first time, it was supposed to be like, we had a couple glasses of Campari and it got crazy. Uh, we watched the sunset and it was, Jerry Falwell, who was leading the Christian right at the time, this man of rectitude to the followers. And it was like the same ad on the back of the hustler as a, as a recall. Yeah. But I believe, but it said my first time was having sex in an outhouse with my mother uh, <laughs> while drunk or whatever. It was something yeah. like that. And then uh, they got into details too, which is, it just stayed with Oh, you. wow. You know, because the I'm glad to have it reminded me. In the original, it'd be like uh, suave guys or beautiful women, or mostly men, all men, saying my first time it was in uh, college or whatever. This happened, the two drinks, uh, whatever, smoked a cigar, whatever. And it was written exactly with that, except I kept going back to the thing with having sex with his mom, which was disgusting. And, of course, it was in an outhouse. I mean, really hit the white trash thing very hard and uh, brilliant. It was brilliant. Oh hit hard and 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 he was sued by Falwell for defamation because it was not true and um or whatever he was I, allegedly allegedly alleg yeah I'm saying this but the interesting thing is like people it was in the film the people versus Larry Flint yeah. dramatized this idea that Larry had he fought back and went all the way to the Supreme Court I believe that is one of the cases yes and it was decided in Larry's favor the right to satire which in this age of where free speech is under threat and cancellation uh this was a legal like a, a sort of uh started off as a civil action but ended up preserving the right to be satirical if you're in the public and to satirize public figures mm -hmm. so and because they often have so much power they'll sue anyway i was uh and so little reporters and journalists can make fun of the powerful yeah. thanks to Larry Flint's decision. And 
um, that's I I he it was a crazy place to work, but I loved the the idea that he had done that First Amendment stuff at the time. Um, I was married before I worked there and in a relationship when I started there. And yes. Tom, I, was, I wonder how someone feels when their boyfriend gets a job at Hustler. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's like, I, I, it seems to me like the average woman would be really happy, you know? <laughs> totally and happy. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I thought my girlfriend at the time would be excited because we were living together. And I was like, why aren't you happy? It's like a regular paycheck. Right. We right. Like shoplifting before that. Yeah. And yeah. like, she was like, it's disgusting. <laughs> and uh, the first party she went to, uh, this guy, Max Hardcore, showed up, who was like the king of like hor horrifying <laughs> videos. And my girlfriend, who was like totally not into the porn industry, just like stalked him, making funny. Uh, anyway, well, oh you, did it. you had a you had a funny. Uh, I think you just said it too. It seems like uh, uh, it would be uh, titillating, just on paper, especially if you're a boy. You go, wow, look at this great. It's sex all the time. At least I get a what. And and but you described it as not that way. Yeah, actually, I there was a woman I worked with who, when I started there, she was the editor of one of our, there was a family of magazines that Larry Flint had from Hustler to Barely Legal yeah. um, and others that you probably yeah. intimately know, Tom. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, and, and, uh, and one of the, they were, at, some of them were edited by women. And one of the women I worked with said, yeah, it's like when it comes to sex, it's kind of like you, it's like money and you work at a bank, like we're surrounded by it, yeah. but it's almost, it almost like in some ways, like kind of killed it in a, in a weird way, because it just is immediately like a commodity and a deadline, you know, and, and yeah. Well, so well, how many times like, have you been married? How many times? Yeah. I've lost count. Amazing. Uh, no, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Well, let no, me say too, I, it's like working on the kill floor of a meat packing plant, my experience. You go in there, you love meat. Mm. And then you see how it's you see what how it's done, what's really in it, whatever. Smell. Uh, I still eat meat, but you do it makes you a little more thoughtful. Wait, oh. are you talking about the porn industry or marriage? Both. Both. Yes. <laughs> For sure, marriage. It's exactly the same. Yeah. Uh, in terms of indoctrination into a new world, I decided a long time ago, I'm writing a book actually about brain. This is a true story, uh, brainwashing and forced conversion experiences, which is like cult experiences. Yeah. And I decided a long time ago that relationships are sort of like that. And so are jobs like you're you have to drink the Kool-Aid of whatever crowd you're with, but um, or relationship you're in to a certain extent. But I had been married a couple times, or once before, when I was at Hustler. Mm -hmm. and, um, and what did she? What type of a? Was that like a Midwestern gal that you met, and you're like, oh, we, you know? But what was what was that like? So, um, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, when I agreed to go on this podcast, I didn't even think I I'll talk about anything. But I was yeah. like, yeah, 
this is like the topic of therapy, potential legal actions, intimate memoirs. Yeah, I'll go and talk about it. I have to preface this by saying something about marriage and the 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 wonderful women that I've been married to, been in relationships with, is it's like I think of like the best movie you've ever seen. Like I don't know what that would be. What is it, Tom? Being there. Being there. Being there. Okay. Yeah. And uh, like it's maybe the greatest movie you've ever seen, but you still want it to end you do, and you can't live on popcorn forever. And that's kind of how I view my first two marriages, right? The greatest yeah. women ever. My first wife I met in college and um, I had gone to, to Vassar and we dated, actually we dated early, early on and we broke up and whatever happened in that the first three weeks we were together we didn't talk for the next three and a half years. Wow. <laughs> and then it was the end of school and uh, like uh, <clears throat> there was graduation in the air. Although I think I had missed a class. So I had to make up two classes. I hadn't graduated. And um, I ran into her and, and suddenly after not speaking for more than three years, three and a half years, it seemed like a great idea to move in together immediately. And wow. yeah, it was great. It was a brilliant, yeah. brilliant idea. And then how long were you guys married for? Well, um, <clears throat> actually we were married uh, for, for less than, <laughs> for, I can't believe I'm on a, why am I on a podcast? You know, um, yeah, we were, we, we, we lived together for six or seven years. And at a certain point, I think we both decided that the relationship was a little under stress and that in the spirit of leaving no stone unturned, let's drive to like the Wilshire Wedding Chapel and fucking get married and um, go on a crazy honeymoon, just like impulsively, Yeah, which we did. And it was like crazy fun. And then um, uh, it and the marriage ended like weeks later. <laughs> That's all I could say. And did you oh, both this... know? You both knew it was over. You went, okay, this is not that. Where you did you? Was it easy? They they uh, break up the divorce. I I I actually blame my first wife for everything because she should have had enough common sense not to be involved with me in the first place right there were so many warning signs and like all the red flags and she was like i love it yes i was like totally open with them and yeah yeah, i don't know what was going on there you guys were obviously really young if you just right out of college and you know people feel so this is this is the honest truth like it's it's funny. I was thinking if the humor of like talking about exes is like how stupid we were or and there is all like how we were or how the ex was, it's really hard for me to um, to trash not, not only the people, oh, but yeah. the decisions behind it, because like on a certain level, I was making a joke like, oh, it's the greatest movie. But I have this other this is honest truth. I don't know how you two feel, mm-hmm. but 
I've had, I've been this way since I was like, um, 14 mm-hmm. and it's this, if, if a woman female mm-hmm. who, <clears throat> if she agrees to take her clothes off in mm-hmm. front of me or offers to just on her own, I tend to think that's like one of the greatest human beings I've ever met on yeah. the planet. And it's hard for me, yeah. like no matter what happens after that, you can like run me over. Like, it's hard for me to lose that initial feeling of just complete, like, oh my God, yeah. you are Mother Teresa, you know? And so I look back at all of the, one could look back at the disasters mm-hmm. and yet, at some point, there was nudity involved, and I can't knock that. Yeah, so, no. I'm with you. I'm with you and, there. and just to be clear, this podcast isn't to trash exes. No. It's really just to talk about, yeah, what what did you learn from it, and where you were at that point in your life is why it made sense. So it's interesting. My theory became that in my early twenties, when I thought that I was fiercely independent, and I thought that I was like this rebel that I was incredibly needy and um, I didn't know how to live without a relationship. And (laughs) yeah. Mm -hmm. And the other thing with me is I I've been, I was really raised without any, I, I, um, a blessed atheist mother who to her last breath just had no belief in anything. And I was sort of raised that way, just intuitively, no interest in that. But what I didn't realize is that I transferred a lot of like religious feelings onto uh, romance and the other, you know, sex that I was interested in, the gender I was interested in. So um, I looked at women almost at love as this salvation kind of way. Yeah. That makes sense to me. I I didn't have a mother growing up. So you you just, you don't know how just the quest to, well, to see what the naked woman's body looked like, but, but just to, to refill that role somehow, you know, I'm sure that has something to do with my four marriages and and divorces, but I do, I do understand. Now, Evan, I'm going to keep you moving a tiny bit. Yes. Keep it. Because we have to get to your experiences uh, dating or uh, just in general of the porn stars that you became uh, 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 familiar with, uh, J- Jasmine St. Clair. Now, I just want to say, I did Howard Stern with her many years ago, and I think she was promoting her new world record uh, sex uh, video, uh, World's Biggest Gangbang. Is that, does that sound familiar? Um, man. Oh, yeah, I think so. I think I ran across somebody by that description. Yeah. And I, I was gonna like go backwards and ask a question, but I'll jump into this. Um, You can ask one. Go backwards. Yeah. Ask what you're gonna say. No, I was just, I was just curious from the female perspective. I'll jump into the Jasmine of it in a moment. Hustler. But that idea of like looking for salvation uh, that that men do with women for sure. Like yeah. how did, did you, that play yes. out? So for me, um, my mother and my biological father separated when I was one and I only saw him 
maybe a handful of times until I was eight. So I created this sort of, you know, I guess longing for this man to love me, for me to feel loved because my mom was just a hot mess and um, it wasn't a very loving relationship that I had from my mom. And she very shortly after married a man who was a functioning alcoholic and emotionally abusive to me. And I think both physically and emotionally to her. So I kind of always, yeah, I think I always kind of, well, obviously it was like the cliche girl that loved like the romantic comedies or just sort of this idea of if I can trick or convince (laughs) someone to think that I'm so great and fall in love with me uh, enough to want to marry me, then, then I, then I'm okay. Then I, then I'll be okay in some way or that I can, you know, go accomplish these other things in life. But it was like, I would say maybe right after college or in college a little bit. I mean, I really, the only normal boyfriend I ever had was one guy in college for like three and a half years. And of course that I couldn't handle that. Um, So I think after I got rid of him, it was, you know, going after the emotionally unavailable and, and all of those things, but still on the chase of this sort of fictional person to sort of make me feel good about myself. Mm-hmm. And you, and you, Speaking of fictional people, you very you end up with an actor. <laughs> yeah. And, well, and- I I also you know dabble in the arts. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. I moved to LA, you know, um, and it was funny because when I went to college, I was a theater major, and I remember how naive I thought, "Oh my God, there's going to be the hottest guys in the drama department." I'm so excited, and of course, <laughs> I get there, they're all gay. Yeah. Well, there's no one. All the hot guys are in finance or business, you know, engineering. Um, so slim pickings for me until I got to LA. Um, but yeah, so it was, and, and it was funny cause I had a thing for a while where they always had to be like 12 years older than me, oh, you I, know, I, you know, guys, my own age, I, I saw them too much as an equal or just like a brotherly figure. Like it wasn't, so I had my own weird daddy issues or whatever. It's, you know, I, 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 let me just say too, you're, but I hear the stories of you and your friends, like the pilot lady who flew you out here on a plane with no lights or whatever. Yeah. Your, your bus friend, you went to the cocktail bar, you came out here, you slept on an air bed. Those are really love stories. I mean, those are great. <laughs> for real. Yeah. Those are, if, if you think about the love and fun and and it's and, and maybe you and I have never been able to transfer that into a, a, a relationship where that's that. No, you're totally right. I think what Tom's saying is like the gold nuggets or the beauty and the love that we had was right, right in front of us with our friendships or maybe people we had these other experiences with. And I, I think I did always want that with a man and with a partner. I just didn't have a very good picker to pick somebody that would maybe be the right person that would engage in those things too. I mean, not that, you know, my ex and I had a ton of things and, you know, fun and experiences, but um, yeah, I think I was always just looking and I was obsessed. I was, what is it called? There's like the love avoidance and the love addicts. And I think I was for sure for a very long time addicted to the longing 
and the chase or like addicted to being with guys that would be so hot for me for like three months straight. I'm the greatest thing they've ever met. And then they ghost me for two weeks. And all I do is chain smoke cigarettes and, you know, listen to like depressing songs and just go out to bars with my friends and just be in this state of drama and, you know, the, the heartache of it all, you know, it was, that was a weird, like a drug addiction for me. Well, I, I was going to say that as a, as a journalist, like I, I learned this thing and it's like, I, I learned it in journalism and then I've seen it in life. And it's this thing that if you sit down and talk to somebody and just let them talk about whatever they want to talk about, that person almost invariably feels bonded with you and they feel that you understand them because it happens as a journalist all the time. And I've just seen it over, I've seen it replicated in life. And so um, what happens is, is when we have strong desire, we, you know, we'll sit down with somebody and if they let us talk, we'll often like feel bonded with them and then project onto them whatever it is, you know, from our fantasies. And we don't know that person. And, and I've experienced this many times as a journalist where subjects that have just told me their stories, they immediately ident- start to identify and they say, we must be alike. We see the world the same way. And it's like starting a relationship. And And you realize it's been happening because they're just telling you things they haven't told anybody else and you didn't judge them. Well, I think that, yeah, and there's something that you were talking about when you were embedded with, I can't remember if it was Afghanistan or Iraq and uh, for for Generation Kill. And you said to, you told the the soldiers, you said, listen, I'm going to write honestly about you, about this, and I will disappoint you. Or I forget the way you put it. But but something will you know because people are eventually disappointed. I know that has been written about. But I thought it was so incredibly honest. Uh, you know, I forget the way you said it, but if you could do that in every relationship, like, <laughs> hey, you know, I'm going to be my best. It's going to be, but there, you know, there are going to be things that you that you don't find perfect or whatever, and just that honesty up front. Uh, uh, that to have that in a relationship besides your journalism, uh, I thought that would be very healthy to be able to do it. It, it. I'm too insecure to say that up front right now. That yeah, there'll be you know, but you know what I'm talking about, Evan? Do you remember what I'm talking about? Where, where? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, there's also yeah. you know, that show. I don't know if either of you have seen it. It's called Love on the Spectrum, and it's uh-huh. where people on the spectrum are you know trying to go out and date and find a partner and they meet with these, you know, sort of dating coaches and the level of honesty that they're just spewing at all times. in in these first date situations or second, it was, it like blew me away. I got so emotional because I thought, wow, this is beautiful. If we could all just communicate so honestly, you know, where it's like, Hey, you know, there was like a scene where it's like, um, would you like to go out with me again? And the person says, no, not really, but it was nice meeting you. Okay, bye. You know, and you're just like, oh my God, like, you know, imagine the time we could all save and they're just being honest and nobody's feelings seem to be heard about it. Yeah. So, Evan, I want to know if you got into 
you're there, uh, you're around, you're the uh, uh, porn editor or whatever. You, uh, I will say one thing he did. He wrote the 50 most influential people in the porn industry, and he included himself in it because, of course, and, uh, you know, and, uh, and, but, but of course, but it's also sort of how that magazine operated. And, uh, but you, your experience, uh, you dated, uh, uh, as I understand, uh, someone with, with, from that industry. Yeah. So it was, you know, so actually when I worked at Hustler, I was completely in love with this woman that I lived with. So I was initially in this really strange situation of where all of these women were coming into my office and taking their clothes off to show me their new breast implants or Dr. Frankenpussy was the doctor that was doing vaginal reconstruction that we did a story on and they would show the results. And I was completely faithful. And I also had this idea because I was so in love with this woman. I just had dinner with her sister. recently. Um, So I'm there. And then I also quit. I got sober. So I actually was um, at Hustler being um, faithful to my girl, not and then like, we broke up. And then I got involved with somebody like a, a somebody outside the industry. But as I wrote in that article, I, I, I formed a friendship with Jasmine St. Clair, who had entered the porn industry at the same time I did, uh, roughly in 1995 or so. When I when my brother when my ex brother in law gave me the tip on the job, she was on Jerry Springer announcing that she was going to be in the the world's biggest gangbang part two. The first had already happened with Annabelle Chong. Yeah. um, uh, Who was like, uh, who was like an art, uh, like a a graduate student in um, art in fine art at like USC. And like, she start, she started like the first gangbang woman of the 90s started off as like an art project so jasmine comes along and and i met her when she entered the industry and i had interviewed her and i thought she was an amazing character because and i want to hear your impression because she actually speaks she spoke like several languages and uh she's really smart and and very funny and i was like why are you in this industry? Mm-hmm. You know? And um, yeah. like, it can't be healthy. There, there can't be a good reason that you're here. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, and it's, uh, I don't think Monica understands this, but back in the day, there was these competitions, and we're talking about hundreds of men, literally lined up. Monica, I'm so sorry to have to bring. No, it up. I- no, no it's, I it's, I may Thomas. look a certain way, but um, no, the best was so when I was in high school, I worked at a video store, my favorite job ever. Um, it was called Captain Video, and we had a porn room. So of course, I was the girl yeah. who would steal porn and watch it, and then I would rent it out and charge the boys at high school to get the porns that they couldn't. That's, oh, that's great. That's exactly the kind of shit Tom and I were doing. So, yeah. yeah, so it's like we're all family. We should all be on a podcast. I'm super interested in all of this. So no offense at all. <laughs> so yeah, no, it's just like, it's so, re- it's such a thing of that what era. What did you say when you asked her? Or can you not say what her reason was? 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Yeah, well let me say what what Tom was saying is it was so crazy. It was really like a marketing thing. And I was like, so when I started at Hustler, I I had been a medieval historian and I was like really into historiography. And I was like, I'm just going to treat it like a subculture and like, like a subject. And so what I discovered is I interviewed the guy who was making these films. And he was like, he, he was this British guy who looked like Jerry Garcia. And he was like, he's like, they're not, he's like, they're not having sex. There's, there's sexual stunt people. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And um, and he was like, we're doing this just to like, because you can't break through the marketplace. It's like the chaos of the video slash DVD market as it was evolving. There was just whatever will sell. And so um, it was like shock. It was the shock value. And it really went with the 90s. You know, there was like Howard Stern and um, yeah. the, the shock of the 90s. So when I started at Hustler, they said one of the first things you're going to write about is this world's biggest gangbang part two. And I was like, holy shit. Because I was like, this was crazy to me. Like I had, I really didn't know a lot about the industry then. And so I, I, then I met Jasmine and I was like, why are you doing this? And she was like, oh, I was spurned by a boyfriend. And he, he was like, he mistreated me. And so I've been, this is my revenge. Like it was, it was like revenge porn. And so I'm going to tell you a true story. Um, I met Jasmine. She was really, she was a very interesting person. She was different than other people in the industry in that she also didn't have like drug issues. Um, And so we were never involved, but I wrote this LA Weekly piece called Scenes from My Life in Porn that, that uh, Tom has referred to. And she's in it because we developed, uh, or at least I developed in my mind, a close relationship with her. And it came to a climax when she was posing after the world's biggest gangbang. She was in a film called Blow It Out Your Ass. And Amazing. this because, you know, when they started the shock thing, it's like, where do you go? Yeah. So this one was, she was working with Randall, the master mus- magician, mm-hmm. who had developed a technology to blow six foot flames from between her butt cheeks while she was like in a doggy style type position. Wow. Burning her. Now, 
two weeks before she did the stunt, his home burnt down in a freak fire. So I was like, this is not going to be good. <laughs> I went there and um, I, you know, I wrote about this and we had become close and she asked me to hold her hand when she was about to ignite the rectal flame technology device and BFFs forever. (laughs) Right. And I was like, so she was like on all fours and she's, I was like the closest and there's all these other journalists as I would call us. Mm -hmm. And she looked at me and she goes, I'm scared. Somebody hold my hand. And I didn't because like, I was afraid because I had, I actually had a massive crush on her at the time. And I was afraid that if I held her hand, it would be like visible, like that people would see like, oh, you're actually in love with Jasmine St. Clair. Cause I really was. And so I, I said, no. And that like my coldness at the filming of blow it out your ass really kind of after that, like our friendship was never quite the same. And, um, well, did, were you also worried that she might catch on fire that he <laughs> had? Like, yeah. I mean, okay, Tom. Tom, you just zeroed in on it. I was <laughs> also afraid when they lit that fucker. <laughs> the whole thing was going to blow sky high. Someone has sent yes. perfect eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did not have my asbestos suit on that day. Right. So I ran. <laughs> yeah. um, also, I should say that when, when I had arrived that morning, and I met John T. Bone, the, the director. He had showed me the setup and Jasmine showed it to me. And I was like, you guys are missing something. And this was because I think because he was British. He didn't get our culture. I was like, how can you have a, like um, flames without like a marshmallow and weenie roast? Yeah. So I actually <laughs> sent PAs out to get marshmallows and weenies. And um, which I think in the final film, I'm on, it's like one of my first jobs, like contributing. Special thanks. Yeah. I didn't even get a special thanks. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. But they had them and they got flames on them. Now, the course in America, then they got the hunter guys would eat them immediately. Yeah. (laughs) They must be tasted good. Uh, Yeah. So back to that, that, that initial gangbang, the attempt was to get like 300 men. And it was held in a sound stage, um, probably on Santa Monica Boulevard in, in Hollywood, one of those. And in, in what they used to call like uh, uh, the Gulch of Old Western Studios, where they used to film the cheap westerns. It was one of those sound stages that they had decorated like a tiki, tiki themed like high school dance oh with God. like an elevated bed. And um, there was like what it was because like the internet wasn't quite there yet, right? So it was a big deal. If you're a fan of porn, you can write a, a letter on the back of the thing. And not only can you get like meet your star, you can fuck the star. Oh, wow. This is America. We're dreams about come engagement, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, none of that. <laughs> so. Yes, I mean, no, I was thinking not engagement, but engagement. Yes, but literally, yeah, like literal engagement. Yeah, and so she and so what I found out, and I think this became my rosebud because I met Jasmine then, and 
and like at this time and she was like a really interesting character and i was like why are you doing this because it was disgusting they had like a hot dog vending cart and it was these guys i won't even paint the picture um and she, you know she said she'd been spurned by a guy but actually it was this other thing that so so we we had this friendship and years later i ran into her after i was i i had separated from my first wife and oh, this was a big mistake, by the way. Uh, I had separated it's years, 15 years later, whatever. And I run into Jasmine and I, I reached out to her on Twitter or she to me. And then she asked me to, to help her read a manuscript of her memoir. And so we had dinner and I she gave me this manuscript and I discovered that she and her writing partner had plagiarized this entire article I'd written, scenes from my life in porn. They'd actually published it. Oh, shit. Never, they didn't even credit me. Yeah. So I was like, wow. Oh. And she was like, it's in there? And, and I was like, well, I've, I'm really telling this story in a terrible way, but I'll just continue down this path. I said, yeah, your book that you published and you wanted me to look at because you want to rewrite it or something, you guys plagiarized me and you didn't even give me credit. And she was like, oh, wow. She's like, well, I never really read this book. I just know it sucks because the guy that wrote it, like I could tell. And she and I was like, but wait a minute. I wrote this article in the LA Weekly like 15 years ago. This is when I met her again. Like, you know, maybe it was like 2013 or so, 14. And I was like, you know, I published an article in the LA Weekly 14 years ago. And it's about you. And it's about how I had this crush on you. And she was like, she had told me over the years that she had read it. And she goes, oh, well, I never read it. And I was like, wait a minute, you told me you read it. And she's like, I don't know, I just lied. I can't read all the garbage people wrote about me. And I was like, well, here's it, here it is. So I get out the article that she's ripped off, plagiarized, put into a book, yeah. didn't even read, where I expressed like my love yeah. to her 15 years earlier. And by the way, I should point out my first wife. Oh, no, my second wife. I get confused. Um, <laughs> she had read that article and used to like just hammer me about Jasmine St. Clair. Oh, I bet. You knew her? Oh, and I would try the story where I'd be like, hey, when I worked at Hustler, I didn't have sex with the porn stars. You know what? Nobody believes you when you say that, it turns out. Sure. But so... Um, I would get hammered over this relationship with Jasmine for years in that first marriage now or the second marriage Then I'm out of that. I won't even get into that whole thing. And <clears throat> now I'm with Jasmine. She's ripped off my book and I'm like, well, why don't, or my story. And I'm like, why don't you read the story? And uh, she's like, well, I, she goes, actually, I didn't read it because I heard some porn star told me that you like slandered me and said mean things. And I was like, you listened to like, blah, blah, blah. It was like, she, I was like, I honestly don't think that woman could read. I'm to just gonna say that. I don't uh, think she could read. Not Jasmine, this other woman. Oh, both of them. <laughs> Jasmine's a brilliant, Jasmine's a great reader. So yeah. she reads my article and here's what I had written. Years earlier, I had written that Jasmine St. Clair had skin the color of tea in the afternoon sunlight or something mm -hmm. kind of goofy like that. 
and she yeah, yeah. read it out loud. She like was reading the article across from me. This is like, you know, years later. And she's like, stops. And she's like, wait, you wrote that about me? And I'm like, yeah, I did. And she's like, oh, and she had this look. And I go, you know what? I think we should just have sex right now <laughs> just to like get it out of the way. And then like we can talk about other stuff later. And she was like, she goes, no, I don't think so. And then she goes like, I mean, she might have a different version, but uh, she's like, okay. And I was like, cool. And it was like, I was thinking as a writer, it's the only time I'd ever written a line. Like in movies, like you, you're a writer and you fall in love and you write something poetic. And it's like the only time, and it's in my LA Weekly article about porn and the world's biggest gangbang. And the object of that writing and the gangbang has been so moved by that. We've started this relationship. And I have I run out of time here? No, no, please keep no. going. Yeah. Is I'll just get into something. Jasmine's a wonderfully talented person. And, and the reason I always liked her. <clears throat> is I take this stuff seriously. I really do. And uh, I've always questioned public morality, First Amendment, free speech. And I, I was interested in pornography as just a, a, a legal question. And I, when I worked at Hustler, I interviewed this lawyer, I believe his name was Jeffrey Douglas at the Free Speech Coalition. And he said, do you know why it's so evil and why everybody goes to prison or why they want, why there's obscenity. And he said, it's not, it's, there's abuse. There's all of that at times, but he said, it's not that. He said, ultimately the reason pornography is hated and why it's a danger is that it's two adults who are not in a married relationship who have sex. And when it's over, they smile and they laugh. Because in all of Western theater and cinema, classically, when unmarried people have sex, you get fatal attraction. Get murdered. <laughs> punishment. It's the basis of 80s and 70s teen horror movies. The kids right. make out at the cemetery. Boom, they're going to get punished. And porn upends that. And, and in that morality story, I think it's really great you know, pornography. And I, I actually liked Jasmine. I thought of her it, when she entered the industry as like this evil Knievel of morality and that she was going to jump the Snake River Canyon or whatever of, River West, Canyon. Of, of Western morality, you know? And, but what she told me is that she was really bitter and this is hilarious. And, and, um, and she, I, I helped her work on a one woman show and I don't know what the status of it is, but I always thought this should be the center of it was that she, uh, that day when I saw her prepare, get on stage for this gangbang, she was doing the press conference and she looked out at this sea of fucking losers. These guys, it looked like they let LA County out, you know, and you're at the train station uh, these guys, their pants have already fallen off. They yeah. were walking around in sneakers because it was like a dirty cement floor with T-shirts on and no pants, masturbating with KY jelly. It was disgusting. Yeah. There's a hot dog vending cart. And she was yeah. this wonderful, beautiful young woman, right? 
And I'm like, why are you doing this? So years later, she's like, she's like, my heart was broken. I was bitter, but she was like, I, I never wanted to have love again. So I thought if I do this, not only will it like put me at the center of the porn industry, I will never be able to have date or have love again. And I'll be safe and free from that because she was in so much pain from her previous relationships. Right. But she said, and that's, I understand that logic because I'm an all or nothing type person emotionally. And it's the decision that like a 24 year old would make it, you know, given the right set of circumstances, death of her so wait, Did you and Jasmine end up getting married or? So, so here's what happened. Not well, uh, you know, okay. so, uh, but I have to say what I have to add her story was there was a moment she said she looked out at the sea of boobs and was like, get me out of here. I'm I'm going to like fucking I don't want to do this. I hope they get into a fist fight like this was a horrible disaster. But she had so much pride and she'd been on Jerry Springer telling the world because when she made the pledge to do this, she had never been in a single porn film. She had like left Columbia University, I, I believe. And um, and had been a dancer, so it was, she didn't know what she was doing. Anyway, so uh, she went through with it, and and her thinking was the internet really didn't exist then. She was like, "Well, I'm using a fake name. I can probably just disappear and go back to my life yeah. because people could rationally think shit like that of the yeah. old days." Yes. So so it didn't happen. So fast forward, I met her years later, and we we had a relationship. And um, a lot of it was premised, I believe, on Jasmine's interest in me writing um, like a version of like helping her really edit her life and, and structure it as a show or a performance. And she's very talented. Right. And I and I was like, I would love to do that. I mean, it was like an idea that came out of like, you know, hours of sexual intercourse. Love so, it. You know, just once it happened. Yeah. Uh, by the way, you know, Jasmine has like this, it doesn't mean anything. AVN was the competitor to Hustler and they sort of the industry trade magazine and they had the Oscar of, of the adult industry. And it's the, um, a, a, the AVN award. Right. And Jasmine, she possessed, um, she's in the AVN hall of fame. Now, it, with the Hollywood system, I, I do think it's true. I respect the actors and and the performers that we work with. And when you come across like an Oscar caliber, I had uh, drinks with Meryl Streep once at, at a Vanity Fair party. Not that I had drinks with her. She sat with me at the bar. And we drank and talked cool. about Passer. We'd gone to the same college. And... and Prius cars. It was her interest at the time. And I, I don't know where the hell I'm going with this. Um, um, well, I don't, yeah. Like what, you know, you guys were in a relationship for a while. Then it got crazy. But then uh, things got crazy, Evan. And you're sober at this point, right, Evan? Oh, yeah. Sober. yeah. Is she sober? She was sober, 100% sober. Okay. But how, so, how does it... Yeah, how did you know, it what, No, I know where I was going with this analogy. Yeah. It's going to take a long time. And this was this. Jasmine's in the AVN Hall of Fame. And being with her, she truly earned that award. Like yeah. 
it was like being with an Oscar caliber actor all the time. And um, she was like a great stunt person, you know? And uh, so uh, we, we, we weren't living together, but we were working together. And then there's one day I was, because I, I was divorcing and I was, I met her after I moved into this little, like when you moved into your like bachelor apartment when you're divorced, you know, like that. I know what I'm talking about. So I'm in that and I'm now sometimes dating Jasmine. And in my recollection of events, she's there one day and, and she's like, um, um, she gets up and she's like, ah, my goddamn back hurts. And I'm like, why? What's going on? She's ah, well, you didn't even help me. And I'm like, help with what? And she's like, well, when I moved out of my apartment, and I was like, what do you mean moved out? And she's like, well, because I think I'm pregnant and um, I decided to move in with, and I'm like, and I realized she'd actually been living there for like a few days or weeks at this point. And I like, I went back and I I was working on something and I was gone so much. I was like, okay, now we're together. And that's how our relationship began. And uh, it was joyous. We we rode motorcycles together. We had a lot of fun. And uh, I, um, at the time, I, I think we we uh, we made a decision that I thought was mutual at a certain point because neither of us ever wanted to be married again. And uh, and and the scare with the child did not happen. I think we were both relieved and. There was a point where I was like, you know, I think it's time for us. We've been together for a while and it's great, but I think I'm going to be in a separate place and you'll be over in another place. And I was just like sort of trying out this concept and I got a different place and I'd moved out and I was like, we can still see each other. And I think she was like, I thought she was into it. Right. And we were separated and uh and but we were seeing each other we were being adults like let's date and not live together because that's like an unhealthy thing and if you go to like therapy and stuff people say sometimes you don't want to move too fast right when you move in with like a subject of the world's biggest gangbang that you wrote about 15 <laughs> yeah. years ago what are the rules i don't know so yeah. so uh so we we were like on the separation and what happened is we were at an event and driving home from an industry event on my motorcycle and we were in a crash and this is when i discovered that that jasmine like was a major asset because my motorcycle there was a, a driver who came out driving the wrong direction had blown through a stop sign was had her tra her her driving lights on at an angle wrong way on olympic just came out of nowhere we hit the car at like 30 miles an hour whatever i fly like superman break both wrists i'm on the ground getting up and i'm like oh i really hurt i think i can move i'm glad there's no spinal injuries and then i'm like what happened to jasmine she was behind me when i last noticed and i look up oh and i see the car that had driven in front of us, it's crunching because the, the woman driving it is trying to pull away and get away from my fucking motorcycle. So 
I'm like panicked, but I have two broken arms. And I'm like, where's Jasmine? And I see her boots running and she's going across the pavement and she dives in the car and she's like, bitch, I'll fucking kill you if you drive away. She dives in with both arms, right? Now this was like acrobatic. I mean, this was like a Hollywood stunt. She died, yeah. she'd taken her helmet off. She threw it down. She dove in with her left arm. I believe she threw that into a, a lock around the woman's neck. With her right, she went in. I think she punched the woman maybe once in the back of the head and then <laughs> grabbed her cell phone when she was stunned, yanked it out, took a photo of the car, texted it to herself and I think to my phone. Amazing. Then picked up her helmet and then was flourishing it at the woman saying she was going to hunt down her family and like kill everybody. <laughs> and I got the visor up to my helmet and I was like, Jasmine, I was like, Jasmine, don't hit her. We have like a perfect lawsuit Yeah. right now. It'll be assault. So she yeah. didn't do it. And, but at that moment, I was like, she's a really special woman. And I had two broken arms. And after that, she moved into my new place and was like Florence Nightingale. And we were together for a, a while longer. But and how, uh, did, how did it, how did it end? Um, it ended amicably, Tom. It was just, as you would expect, it was just a, a, a decision of, of mutual, no, Tom, it was like a complete clusterfuck, but yeah. I'm not going to It was. It was like a disaster. That's, uh, yeah. It she, was a, she got involved in your... Uh, uh, so here's... She, you know, on our first date, when we, we, like a lot of people, you know how you like have sex first and then like you get, like you've been in, inside so much, uh, the relationship has started and you're like, oh, wow, we've never been outside. And this wasn't... Yeah quarantine times so she's like we won't go outside we'll, we'll get a video it's my favorite film and I'm like what is it and I was like is it going to be some crazy sex film no it's misery <laughs> yeah. oh my god right and really Holy shit a, a lot of our relationship problem like I was always faithful to her was that this woman was terrified that I was cheating and but it took a particular form because I was helping her sort of turn this uh, interesting story to potentially a one woman show. And she was afraid that every job in Hollywood or book or article would take away from the misery like situation that she wanted me to be in. I believe. She was, wow. your, biggest fan. She was your biggest fan. Like, uh, yes, yes. I'm sorry. I feel like I've talked way too much in this podcast. No, no. Oh, the rap. She, but did she, uh, uh, you know, a woman that's sort of like that did. Uh, so after you break up, was there any, did she try to ruin your life or uh, ruin your working environment or? Uh, oh, no, actually, no. This is the interesting thing, Tom. If hypothetically any of that were to have happened, this is why it's such an amazing relationship. It all happened during the relationship when I was like, writing the stuff and yeah. completely faith. Like I found out, I would suspect in a, hypothetically in one of these stories I've told that uh, in a relationship, I was, it's like this thing, you know, there's a film I saw by, I forget the 
the French or Chilean director, he did a 3D film with a lot of hardcore sex. But there's a line, but filmed in France, but I think he's South American. And there's a line and he says, when you're with a woman, it's like you've married the CIA. And like, <laughs> you know, every phone, every computer. But I, now as a journalist, I've covered the CIA. And here's the problem when you're dealing with the CIA. They don't know what the fuck is going on. They tap the phones, right? They interrogate the suspects and they draw completely wrong conclusions. Yeah. So you're often with the CIA, but it's like the incompetent maniac four, but they're trying to foment revolutions and palace coups. And it's like the CIA that makes no sense. It's not even like representing its own interests. Yeah. That's a great analogy. Oh my God. And then just to, to finish up, I know you're busy. Uh, uh, doing all your stuff, but your current relationship. By the way, Evan has a toilet that's like a heated toilet. Oh, it's fancy, nice. That's like the most magical thing ever it created. Really, it's like I couldn't figure out how to operate it. A but heated for real, toilet a, seat. Yeah, is that you something? Did you bring that toilet uh, cover into a uh, seat into the uh, your relation, your current relationship, or was that? Did you? Or is the what do they call it? Um, community property toilet. Yeah. So listen, that's the toilet. It's not the one, but after my crash, right, two broken hands, Jasmine St. Clair actually installed the original Japanese bidet toilet, like oh. with the wrenches on her hands and knees in the bathroom. This was her Florence Nightingale phase. And I, so the toilet started there, right? And yeah, and I have that, but let's get to like it's since we'll get it back onto marriage somehow or wrap it up with this. Well, so what I want to know is, I mean, yeah, you've had these amazing, incredible different relationships and then now you're in one and you're, you're currently married. Yes. So yes. And it's three things I'll say very quickly, not to, <laughs> no, right. but that any of us, how many times have you been married? Only one. Tom? She'll catch up with us. Don't worry. He's been married four times. Married four times, okay. yeah. So yeah. The, the reason I'm married again after all of this, which Tom keeps alluding to, because I reached a point, I was going to say that, that I always felt once I had like two marriages and then I decided to get married again, I was like, oh man, what a loser. Like now I'm that person. And I've noticed like when I do stories on people, even like, celebrities who you think wouldn't care because they're you're a celebrity you have everything like tom does and <clears throat> but people really are ashamed of that and i realized the advantage in my third marriage because it was the third time even though i was drunk the first time i remember it and it was, so it was my third time saying i do or whatever that vow is we make and the previous two times I felt like shit. I felt like I had to walk the line. I was like, okay, now they're putting on like the plow or that. And I'm like, this is how it feels to be married. You're miserable, right. you're trapped and et cetera. And I actually was like, looked at the woman I just married and I didn't have that feeling. But unfortunately, I think I've realized I'm the type of person I have to learn by doing. So I've had to marry so many times. Mm -hmm. And I would never divorce my wife, the current one, for two reasons. 
The first is she told me she would kill me. And <laughs> I know you she never, would. You love a tad bit crazy. <laughs> you know, I like a, I like a. Um, to be scared of her a little. <laughs> look, I'm writing about, I want to, to, to adapt to Tom's family. Cause he has these like mellow women, like his mother. And, yeah, so chill. Yes. Um, but, but my wife also, you know, we're striking Tom and I have been picketing together. Yeah. Uh, fighting. And, and we're striking because we're afraid of AI. Yeah. And yeah. I have to tell you my, you know, the thing about wives and the CIA, I discovered like my wife, the one that, you know, the one that I'll be married to forever. Uh, the one of the one of the many reasons she's so good, like I've been asking her questions and she'll help me with like business stuff. And I'm like, how did you learn all this? And she's like, I'm just using like chat GP. And like, she's totally <laughs> using AI. And it's like, I'm like, we are fucked as writers and as actors because it's really effective. And like, I don't know, honestly. Like she'll listen to this. I'm like, she has to hear this. Like I, I used to think, yeah, I think she's like maybe the greatest wife. And I think that now, but I have to question, is it the AI? Yeah. Right. Well, I, also your mom was an atheist or so, and your wife now is definitely not an atheist. In fact, the other way. And I just loved seeing you guys together, spending time there. She's got a vision board over here. And I love her already. I know. And I have, like, you guys where, look. Where look there's there. my vision board. Oh, exactly. They, they very similar. I was, this has divorce party on it. It's does. Yeah. But I mean, I, that what feels good about uh, you know you're in a good place too, Monica. Single, but you're in a good place co-parenting. And Evan, you know, I feel like he's in a good place. Uh, uh, I just the vibe. What I knew about him before I went to visit to his house the first time. And what I saw, you know, it's very life affirming. It's not, it's not how I would have pictured it, you know, as you as a couple, I nodded by the way I'm like, uh, and just the, the fact that she's such a real deal, you know, it, it's, yeah. you know, and so I'm very happy for you. And it also says a lot about you as a man that you're like, oh no, this is, this is the thing. Well, I think also it's like you've had all these life experiences and at least you can say you're not on the hamster wheel of insanity and you're growing and changing in the type of woman that you're attracted to or that you're partnering with and kind of creating the friendship and the all the things with. Right. But it's also great because since he's been done that and then now is where he is. It's really funny that he did the other thing. Like it's, it's a, he's, I love it. It's very funny and right, a very uh, self-deprecating and very the way he looks at things. And it's it's easier, it would seem to me, to be in the place that he's in now and really look back and and have fun with his journey. It's, you know? I, I guess I didn't really hear what you were saying, and you kind of alluded to this. It's it's kind of weird because I am leaving leading this sort of like leave it to beaver life after having worked at hustler and to cover these wars and i, I wanted to say two things quickly because i was going to address it um the thing about the morality and being with a woman like jasmine uh i felt that in our modern world like there's this whole feminist thing of like oh sex positive everything i felt that jasmine was horribly if you live with a porn star 
And whatever people would think of her personally, they would form judgments not based on that. It was just based on the morality of like, she's basically very old, like she's an unclean person, right? Mm -hmm. Because she broke our traditions by doing an act that everybody has to have been involved in to be here on earth, you know, procreation. And so um, I was just going to say that when I was with her, I never felt like, oh, she's like, oh, it's horrible. Or I'm embarrassed because like she did this because I feel I, I've, oh, my mother was like this sort of like renegade self-invented feminist who didn't, although she had her issues, she didn't feel that that sex should be something that should be like women should be judged. Like there's a lot of judgment and it's one-sided. And so, you know, how can you judge Jasmine without judging all of the men who participated and et cetera. And so I always, I actually always felt that way about her. And when I was with her, I really learned like the kind of um, like what she faced from generally men were always like, oh, that's cool. You did that. But it's like she faced a lot of like sort of scarlet letter stuff from women. And, yeah. and we, we always yeah. see that like women can be extremely harsh to other women. So it's like, I, I think like we'll make fun of men or, uh, or we'll make fun of men will be like, oh, the women, they're crazy, the damaged women, right? But you deliberately will seek them out. And it's, it doesn't feel bad. It feels altruistic. But I felt, I be began to feel it was a, like a sense of power. Like, mm -hmm. oh, if you can cure somebody who's unhappy or desperate in some way, then they'll never leave you. And I never really recognized that of myself, you know. You know, Evan, this is uh, more and better. Uh, it's It's been great talking to you. Monica, uh, what, no. what are your thoughts? I mean, I'm blown away. This was such a great combo. I feel like I could sit here and talk to you guys all night. I, um, like I just went to therapy. It's I, I feel the same way, too, about what you said, Evan, because, you know, in my quest to find love or it was like I was always proving to my to whoever I was with, like, I'll be so great. You'll feel, I'll be the one that doesn't disappoint you, you know? And that was my way of saving someone or trying to save myself. I don't know, but yeah, I totally identify with that. Well, it's the hardest thing in relationships. It's like we, yeah. we're the old saw, like we're always doing our best and we are having spectacular disasters. And yeah. like, well, and it wasn't until I finally, you know, got divorced or left my relationship, you know, at the time that I, you know, realized like, oh, like I have to love myself and I'm going to be alone. And I really, I know this sounds cheesy, but like dated myself, like, what do I want? What do I feel? What do I need? Because so many times you partner with people and you're just doing to please them or what you think they want. And also, you know, I don't know if making a generalization, but as a woman, sometimes I, I've told Tom this, like, I'm like, oh, I'm going to be the coolest girlfriend you could ever have. Like nothing bothers me, like not a big deal, you know? And so it's like, you just start to figure out like, no, wait, who am I? And how do I really feel about those things? And what is my threshold for other people's shit or what are my um non-negotiables you know i had to 
you know, do a lot of therapy and a lot of uh, meditation and time alone. And just, yeah, just to kind of start, just to start to figure those things out. Oh, I'm I'm sorry to do this, but I wanted to just jump in because I I'm writing a podcast now. And so I'm thinking as an editor, but I wanted to, Tom brought up this story and I, my last thing, I wanted to say this story that he'd alluded to this story that we're talking about mothers and how intense characters, my mother was an intense character. And one of the things she did as a child was she had this silver framed photograph of this guy named Rollin King. And it was next to the bed. And like, I was a little boy and I like kind of looked up to my dad and then he would go to work. And then she, my mother was like Scarlett O'Hara. She was either like this pioneering, like she was either Catherine Hepburn, like this pioneering feminist, damn the torpedoes, or she was Scarlett O'Hara in like Gone with the Wind having temper tantrums. Uh And she'd throw herself on her bed and it had those chenille sheets, these like little things that stick up. And she would drink vodka and cry and smoke filterless cigarettes and look at her picture of Rollin King so much that she would get up and her face had all these dots from the chenille sheets, right? And she'd walk around the house and she'd like, he was so perfect. He was in high school. He had a plane. He would fly it. We would go to Cornell. He would pick me up. And I was like, what a douchebag. Why don't you talk about dad? Like my dad who's fat and bald and like, <laughs> he doesn't look like this 21 year old guy that you're and like, what is this? I'm, I'm five years old, long life with her. She passes away in like 2008, like around when she died, maybe it's 07. I'm flying on Southwest airlines and it's like, there's this picture on the cover. And I'm like, why the fuck is Rollin King on the cover of Southwest <laughs> airlines? And it's yeah. like a tribute to our founder. And I like rip it open. He's drinking Canadian club, which my mom drank and smoking Pall Malls. And they're like, our, you know, irreverent founder still smokes Pall Malls and all this stuff. Oh my God. And I was like, holy shit. Mom was right. Dad's a loser. (laughs) I wish I was Ron King's son. I'm going to call him now and like ask for money. Like she was so right. Like he's so cool looking. And like, I just hung on every word in that article. So. Oh, that's oh so great. God. That's great. That's a good way to, thank that's great. Well, thank you, Evan. Very you're the much. Best. Thanks, Evan. It was so nice to meet you. Thanks for tolerating me. Talk to you oh, soon. You're amazing. Stop you're it. Amazing. We'll talk yeah. soon. We'll go pro- strike or whatever. Yeah. Let's take it easy. Stick it to the I man. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.